Today we get back to our, um, our scheduled um, series in Matthew. Today is Matthew chapter 4, so please turn there in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 4. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 14. See, I've been, been gone a while. Get a little rusty. <laughs> Matthew 14. Now, if we read in the ESV, the English Standard Version, if you have a different version, you may want to uh, ask an usher for a Bible. They have it in the ESV. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible. They'll bring it to you uh, so that we can um, listen to God's Word together. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Matthew chapter 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowd heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is the desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the, the disciples gave, the gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way. <clears throat> Excuse me, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. 
But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. May God give us understanding to challenge, encourage, and motivate us for obedience to him. If you would remain standing with me, let's bow in a word of prayer. We thank you, Father, for your word today. We pray that you would help us to take it in, to understand it, to receive what you have for us from it, to encourage, to challenge, to motivate, to rebuke, to correct, to direct us where you want us to go and how you want us to think and what you want us to do. Speak to our hearts this morning through your word. We thank you for your keeping during the week. We ask that you would just continue to watch over those who have experienced or are experiencing some type of physical ailment. We think right away of of Lawrence, who's not here this morning because of sickness, and his wife caring for him. We pray for them, both Lawrence and Charmone. You'd watch over and bless. We think of Jackie Hode, who's not here this morning, not feeling good, and um, we just thank you for that love and that service that she brings each and every week. So much so, Lord, that she was here early to set things up coffee and donuts and the such that she normally does, but didn't think her well enough to be around other people, so she did her thing and left. We ask that you would bless her, watch over her, protect her, heal her, keep her, encourage her heart, Lord. Lord, we pray for others, Lord, as we uh, think of my mom who um, lost her sister over the weekend one that we have been praying for, is now with you. We thank you, Lord, that she had a strong testimony of faith in you. She loved this church. Got a chance to come here once in a while, and she was here and enjoyed, and we enjoyed the fellowship with her. Now she has complete fellowship with you. We thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that you would just encourage my mom, as the 
single surviving one from that generation of all of her siblings. We thank you for giving her life. We pray that you would just encourage her heart. Now we pray um, just for your people here, Lord, many who uh, just suffer from different ailments. Lord, I think of Nikki, that you would just continue to watch over, be with her, Joyce and her recovery for Brenda and just the things that she's going through to manage the the challenges that she has and to face that. And uh, we just pray for for others who who have suffered or are suffering in some kind of a way. We would pray that as we meet the challenges that we would depend on you, trust in you, and have a testimony of faith in you. We pray this now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Choir comes now for special music. started out in praise with isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful and we ended up with wonderful wonderful amen if that's your experience you can relate to that but God has to open up your eyes first Jesus never changes being who he is it's just that we can now see him the veil is taken off And we can see, we can hear his voice. Our ears are unstopped. I use that analogy today because I'm suffering from 
a clogged ear and I can only hear out of one ear. And it changes the way that I speak and the way that I hear. But when, when God opens our eyes and opens our hear, ears to behold him, to see him, to hear him, our whole life is changed. Amen. In Matthew chapter 14, we see several things that the author brings our attention to in the life of Jesus. Let's remember where he came from in the previous chapter. It's been a while since we've, we last looked at this in our series. In chapter 13, Jesus was speaking the parables. He was speaking to the people in parables. And it was a hidden type message because people didn't understand what he was saying. And so his disciples asked him, why are you speaking to the people in parables? And it was, in essence, a judgment against them because they had listened to him and they had seen him, but they couldn't hear and couldn't see because of their own sinfulness. Say it another way, they wouldn't hear and they wouldn't see Jesus for who he really was, even though he was right there in front of them. And so he says, my word is veiled because you won't listen. And who I am is hidden from you because you will not see Then after that, he went to his own homeland. So in chapter 13, verse, 30, verse 53 and verse 54, he comes back to his hometown. And he says something that just kind of speaks to me today, to our generation, especially to our culture. He comes home, and this is what they say to him. He says, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? I said then they asked the right questions, but they came to the wrong conclusion. They're saying, don't we know this man? Isn't he common amongst us? We know where he came from. We know his mom. We know his brothers and his sisters. And he's one of us, right? But they came to the wrong conclusion. It says in the next statement, they took offense at him. And it says, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. What is he saying there? He says, sometimes those who should know you most know you the least. What happens is they think they become familiar with him and they think they know of him and that keeps them from really knowing who he really is. 
How does that speak to our culture? We have a culture that is saturated with the gospel. As wicked as our, our, our world is and as wicked as our country is, and it is wicked, as wicked as it is, we still have churches all over this city, churches all over this country, and God's word is open and available and proclaimed loudly, clearly, and strongly, and still we don't believe. We have absolutely no excuse. We have, been com- we have become familiar. I've been preaching for over 30 years. I only once met a person who said he'd never heard of Jesus, and I think that was only because he was on drugs or something. He was out of his mind. Most people, adults, know something about Jesus, know something about the gospel. It's hard to find a place or someone in this city or even in this state who hasn't been exposed to in some way the gospel. So it's not that we haven't heard or haven't been exposed. It's because we have spit it out. We have rejected the gospel. It doesn't meet our standard or our criteria or how we want. It goes against the life we want to live. And so we think it's an option that we can shift and not do. This is the crowd Jesus was speaking to, but we sometimes in our culture today say, well, if I was there right when Jesus did all those miracles, I would have seen. No, we are inundated with the gospel today. We can go on any public or any radio broadcast, internet. We make movies about the gospel today, and still our nation overwhelmingly is godless. It's that godly principles, but it's just the grace of God that's holding us together. We live in a wicked society that has no excuse. You know what Jesus, when he, when he preached the Gospels in, in, in the chapters earlier to this, he says, woe to you, to the nations that, that were, to, to the people that he spoke to, he says, because the Gospel has been veiledly proclaimed. In other words, it, it was just a smither of it to other generations, but if they would have seen what you see today, they would have repented. He can say the same thing to us because we have been exposed to the gospel. It's in that setting that he comes to chapter 14. Let's look at what happens in 14. I'm going to give it away a little bit. The first thing that happened is probably the biggest thing that happens in this chapter. And it talks about, I have a title in my Bible outline. It says, The Death of John the Baptist. But I've changed that to the brutal killing of John the Baptist. Who was John the Baptist? He was the one that God had sent to pave the way for Jesus. He's the messenger. Not the main speaker, the messenger. 
You've heard the saying, don't shoot the messenger, right? I'm just telling you what I've been told to tell. He's put to death. What does that say about the one who gave him that message? If you reject the messenger and put him to death, you have totally rejected the one who's the author of that message. That's what Jesus is facing. What you will see through Matthew is there's a growing hatred for Jesus. And it's building and building and building. It says in chapter 4, when Jesus started his ministry, the very start of his ministry was the point when John was arrested. You can turn to chapter 4 and you can see that. Verse 12. Remember in chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was tempted in in the the, uh, wilderness by Satan. This in chapter 3, he was baptized, uh, and it's, the, it's, it's God the Father who proclaimed that this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He's presenting him for ministry in chapter 4. Uh, now he's tested and prepared for that ministry, and then he starts this ministry in verse 12. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. In other words, at the very start of his ministry, we see what happened to John. John has already done his ministry, and now he's, his ministry is over. He's arrested now. Chapter 14 tells us the end of John's life. It says, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. Let me pause there. Herod heard about Jesus. In other words, the the, the word of Jesus had gotten out to everybody. They knew who he was. They knew what he did to the point where Herod was now paranoid. He says, this Jesus, I know who that is. That's John the Baptist. Come back to life. That's what Herod said. Paranoia would get you when you're running from God, when you're disobedient to God. Your mind may not act the way it should. Actually, it's acting just fine. You have turned against God. Herod had turned against God. He had arrested John because John spoke out. Here's another thing. The gospel ain't just this peace, love, and, and, and come pray to God. The gospel is man is a sinner. God will punish sin. Get yourself right or God will destroy you. Now, he has provided a way for you to be right by his own son, and he sent his son to die on a cross. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. You have no hope except through him. That means all who fail to trust in Christ will be destroyed by God. Those who cling on to Christ as their hope will be saved. That's the gospel. In that gospel message, God is at war against sin. And John, when people came to his baptism, he says, what you doing here? 
He says, if you're not going to turn away from your wickedness and sin, get out of here. And he was bold enough to speak to the king, to speak to Herod, and says, look, Herod, that woman who you got, you stole her from your brother, and you had no business being married to her. If you want to look at some really ugly stuff, just look at the Herods and their life and what they did. I don't even have time to get into it here. But the point here is John spoke out against the wickedness of his day. He didn't bite his tongue. He didn't hold back. He didn't say, well, you know, I'm just here to baptize people and save people. No, he spoke the truth wherever and everywhere. He he stuck his nose in it and told it like it is. And because of that, Herod arrested him. Herod wasn't strong enough to arrest him. said, you better shut that man up. You better do something about him. It says Herod arrested him. He had him arrested. He bound him, put him in jail. He wanted to put him to death, but it says he feared the people. He had the politics of his day. Herod knew that John was an amazing man, an amazing person. But he also knew that the people highly respected him. I don't know exactly what John did. I don't see any miracles in in, in the Bible that John actually performed. But he was a very powerful man simply because he spoke the truth. This story, to, to me, speaks of influence and impact. John had a great impact, not because he had great money, not because he had some social uh, uh, influence. He simply spoke the truth, the power of God through speaking the truth and not having the fear of man and not being afraid to, to say whatever needed to be said that was truth from God. He spoke and he had a great impact wherever he went. And we see Herod, he has great power in politics, and he wants to hold on to that power, and so he has what he called a fear of people. He wants to do things that people will like, so they will continue to like him and give him the power that he needs. And he couldn't have this little preacher bad-mouthing him to the people, especially when the people, when the, when the little preacher is very popular and people are listening to him, so he arrests John to shut him up, and he wants to kill him, wants to put him to death, but he doesn't want to go that far because that will go against the people, not because it'll go against God or because it's wrong, but because it will hurt his political game. Got a lot of that going on today as well. But it doesn't surprise me. Then his birthday came. The Bible says that the woman that he had taken on to be his wife, which it was unlawful for him to do, had a daughter. Now, sometimes we hear this story and we get this idea of a little girl. But the way she danced didn't seem like too little of a girl to me. 
The Bible says at Herod's birthday party, she performed some ritualistic dance in front of him, or more properly to him, that pleased him. It says he promised with an oath. So we see a man of influence now being influenced by sexual gratification and satisfaction, so much so that he promises with the power that he has to give her whatever she wants. We see this girl, the daughter of Herodias, is influenced by her mother, who is supposed to be the king's wife. You see how messed, this, messed up this is? The king's wife wants her own daughter to do something that's pleasing to the king to influence him. And so she influences her daughter. I don't know what she promised her. But basically said, when the king gives, says he promises to give you whatever you want, this is what you should ask for. Now what daughter wants that? There was some bargaining influence going on. Because she asked for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now the king is in the spot. He's got to do it. It says, verse 8, prompted by her mother. Then verse 9, it says, and the king was sorry, two things, because of his oaths and the guests. Because he had made a promise and he couldn't go back on it. And because he didn't want his guests to see him as weak. So he had it done. All this is the wickedness that's pointed at a godly man. Jesus himself, when John has sent disciples to Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, he says, are you the one or should we look for another? He said, go tell John, go tell John what you see and what you hear and let him be encouraged, basically. And then Jesus went on to, to say some things about John that he was the greatest of the greatest men alive. He is a God highly esteemed John. Here's my question. Look at this chapter. We see Jesus feeding the 5,000. I'm not going to get into that in detail today. Jesus walks on water. I'm not going to get into that in detail today. Jesus heals the sick after he leaves that, I'm not going to get into that in the detail. I, I don't want to gloss over it. I want you to see that Jesus is doing some amazing things. But in the context of what he's doing, it is, is John the Baptist, a godly, righteous man, has been brutally killed by one of the most wicked rulers you could see. And after that happens, it says in verse 13, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there to a boat to a desolate place. Jesus gets away for a little bit. 
Spend some time alone. We see this comment in this chapter. You'll see it again. But even as he tries to get alone, the crowd follows him. You see the word but in verse 13. Let me read 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. So a message was given to Jesus that this had finally happened to John and, and he takes some time or goes off separately to contemplate, to meditate, to pray. And I can imagine what he prayed there is some of the same things that he said to John. Look at John chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 11, verse 6. Remember when John sent the disciples to him, are you the one or should I look for another? He says, go back and tell John what you hear and what you see around you. Here's what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And then he says this, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. John, stay the course. Don't be discouraged by what's going to happen in your life. Stay the course. I think the psalm is kind of put together. If you turn with me to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. I'm just picking one passage in a psalm, but you see this throughout the psalms, this, this thought. Let me just bring it to you. Psalm 25, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh, my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Can I imagine Jesus praying this same kind of prayer for himself? Not for John anymore, he's died, but for the disciples, those who see this kind of thing. Can we lay it out? Here's what we see. We see a godly man taken down. We see a godly man brutally killed, and it seems like there's no justice. And we go, God, what's, what's going on? I thought he was your servant. I thought he was doing the right thing. And now he's cut down. And not just cut down, but cut down by, by a vile and wicked man. To you, O oh Lord, I lift up my soul. My God and you, I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. It seems like they would have been exulting, wouldn't it? Herod is walking around pretty big now. I got rid of him. But they don't exalt long because now you notice the beginning of this chapter, Herod is, uh-oh. This Jesus, I know who that is. That's John the Baptist. Because I killed him and now he's come back alive. You see, the, it, it's, it's tormenting Herod for the wickedness that he's done. God is still working at him. Indeed, verse 3, none, I'm in Psalm 25, verse 3, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are, wanton, who are wantonly treacherous. 
is what we, we must do when we trust in God. And we see wickedness around us and sometimes seemingly rewarded and not punished. God, what are you doing? But no, 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 God, I trust in you. I was reading a proverb this week, and it was Proverbs chapter 20, verse um, 22, I believe. Let me turn there real quick. This spoke to my heart. Proverbs 20. Did you get it yet? Proverbs 20, 22 says this. Do not say I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. He will deliver you. We know the verse that says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I like what it says. I, I find encouragement for that. He says, vengeance is mine. In other words, he says, don't, don't, don't try to seek retribution. Don't try to get somebody back for the evil that they've done. I know you're going to feel like that, but give it over to me. People today want to say, well, you know, this person has murdered my son. He's done this, and I just forgive him. He's okay. God don't. God don't. Now, he does want you to give it over to him. But God does say, I will repay. When we forgive him, we're simply handing it over to God to do it instead of us to put it in our own hands. But God promises, I will. He didn't say, I might repay. I think about it. Um, some I'll repay, some I won't know. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. At this time in Jesus' life, Though the thought of John and the injustice done to the incredible injustice done to him must weigh over his soul. Yet, when the crowds come to him, what does Jesus do? Now, let's put those miracles in perspective. Back to Matthew 14. The crowd comes to him. He can't get away from the crowd. He needs some time alone just to deal with and pray to his God and, 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 and commune with him. But in the midst of that, the crowd is continually to follow him. When the crowds heard it, it says in verse 13, Matthew 14, verse 13, when the crowds heard it, they followed him. In other words, when they heard that Jesus was on shore now, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. So he left on a boat to find a place alone. When he gets to the shore, number a crowd of people. How does he react to that? It says he had compassion on them and healed their sick. In the next couple words, now when it was evening. In other words, I come to think he did it all day long. He's looking for some reprieve. He's looking for some time to, 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 to some me time, right? <laughs> he needed it, but he didn't get it. And how does he respond to that? He ministers to that crowd. He ministers to that crowd. 
He had compassion on them and healed them. And then, then now it says it was evening. That, that was going on all day long. And the disciples say, hey, this is a desolate place. Well, yeah, I picked it so I could get along. But that didn't quite work out. And he said, send the crowds away so that they can eat. Jesus said, no, 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 no. You feed them. What a compassionate, loving merciful Savior who doesn't look to his own needs, but to the needs of those who come to him. No, you feed them. Don't send them away. I, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. So are you, but don't send them away. You feed them. Disciples say, how are we going to feed all these folks? You can look at John and you can see more details of this exact miracle that he did. There was a little boy who had this little lunch and, and the disciples search him out and find him. And Jesus takes this lunch. It says he blesses it. He gives it to his disciples and they give it out. End of story, right? It's only two fish and five pieces of bread. No, no end of story. He blesses it, gives, and continues, and continues, and continues to every single individual there, man, woman, boy, and girl, has all they could eat and more because it's leftovers after that. Jesus is simply saying, in my human limited limit, Come to the end exhausted, I still have adequate resources to minister to every need there is. I can satisfy those needs. I have the resource and I have the desire to meet the needs of my people, regardless of what I'm going through. Then he does it again. It tells us that he told the disciples, y'all get on the boat and go on. I'll dismiss the people. What love and compassion. It's like over, over, over time for him. And he sends them off to get peace. And he spends the time dismissing the people. Can you imagine what it takes to dismiss people who've eaten, who's been healed, and they, they, they just want to linger for more? But he spends the time, it takes him all night, it seems, because he doesn't walk on the water until the fourth watch of the morning. He spends all night. It doesn't say after he dismissed the crowd in verse 23, he went up to the mountain to sleep, right? No, that's not what verse 23 says. He went up to the mountain to do what? To pray. To commune with his father. At the time of discouragement, you know what we need? We need God. We need to be refilled with him. We need to commune with him. We need fellowship 
with him more than we need anything else. So that doesn't eliminate that we do need the regular things in life like sleep and food and so forth. But what we need even more than all of that is this communion with God. And he did that. It says in verse 23, when the evening came, he was there alone. He had some time alone. I want to ask you a question. Do you spend much time alone? We live in a culture today. You have a job. You can't even use the bathroom without your beeper. Not, you're not a beeper anymore. It's the <laughs> cell phone. <laughs> cell phone going off or radio going off or something. But in that rush of a day, do you find some time alone to spend with God? You need that. You need that. God wants you to set apart time for him and with him. Praise God, you did some of that this morning. But that's just to get you started. So that you, you know, you're going to need some time during the day. Don't wait till Sunday again to get recharged. Spend some time with God. Fellowship with him. My wife and I had some good time on our vacation. We were riding along and we saw these electric vehicles and we just made us think, how practical is that? How do you charge them? How do you keep them going? Especially when you got to go almost to a public place to charge them up and wait in a line for something that's going to take maybe two hours to charge. It'd be nice if you had that in your own garage and could do your own charging that way. So it is spiritually. Don't wait to come to a public place to get charged up. <laughs> Go in your own, get on your knees in your own closet, in your own room, whether it's in the bathroom or in the attic or in the basement or in the garage or wherever you can find a second. Spend some time this week with God. Amen. Let him refill you. Speak to him. Talk to him about the John the Baptist incidences in your life. Say, Lord, I see the wicked just being cut down for nothing. But you're going to repay. The righteous, I mean. Being cut down for nothing, but you are going to repay. You're going to work. You're going to bless. So now in the middle of the night, He's come from that prayer time with him and God, the Father, and he has sent the disciples on to the other side. Now, they should have had peace, but they didn't. The waters are starting to stir up. And they, it says they see Jesus walking on the water. And they thought it was a ghost, and they were afraid. Now, when they should have been encouraged at the presence of Jesus, they have a different reaction, and it's fear, but Jesus ministers to them even in that. He doesn't really give a strong rebuke. He says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Hey, man, what y'all afraid of? Y'all see me every day. It's me. It's me. Ah, exhale. They are at rest now. 
Can you imagine that? The storm's about to, you know, take them under. They worried about that. Now they see a ghost walking by. They, they like out of their mind. But no, it's not a ghost. It's not something to be afraid of. It's Jesus. <laughs> Peter, Jesus, is that really you? You got to be kidding me. Is it you? Really? Let me come out there with you. Come on, Peter, come. And he comes, and he's walking on the water. And the Bible says he sees the waves. In other words, look, God has commanded him to come, and God didn't calm the sea for him to come. He just commanded him to come in the middle of the storm. That's where we live, in the middle of the storm. And God has commanded us to walk by faith in him in the middle of the storm. But what Peter did was start to look around and see how really bad it was. You see John the Baptist being taken down. The greatest man you would know besides Jesus himself, who was the forerunner to Jesus. And if they're going to kill the messenger, what are they going to do with the main one? So he sees these things, and just like in our lives, we see the bills. We see the conflict. We see the challenges ahead, and we stop seeing God. Jesus reaches out a hand, Peter. Why did you, why did you fret? Why did you fear? Why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It says, when he got in the boat, the wind ceased. <laughs> Soon as he and Peter got in the boat, perfect calm. And this had an influence on the disciples. They was like, first it says, they worshiped him. They worshiped him. Truly. You are the son of God. They can see something that all the other people could not see. It's like them hearing the parables and Jesus deciphering it for them. Everybody else is like in a, in a maze. They cannot see who Jesus really is. Truly, you are the son of God. And we need to be reminded of that constantly, daily in our lives. That's why you fellowship in church today. That's why you come together with like-minded people to remind you that your faith is real because your God is real, your Savior is real, and when you walk out of here, you dare not forget that. And when things come upon you that just seem to overwhelm you with the wickedness of this world and the trials and the challenges of this life, you remind yourself, you find that desolate place. You find that time alone to spend with Jesus. And he recharges you. He encourages you. And when you step out on faith to trust in Jesus and then you get overwhelmed again and you fear, you just cry out to Jesus. And he takes you by the hand. 
The other thing that overwhelms me in this message, look at the sovereignty of God that's shown in Jesus himself. Jesus chooses to feed 5,000, but allows John the Baptist to be brutally killed. I say allow because that's exactly what he does. He could have stopped it. He could have changed it. Perhaps that's why John has sent him disciples before and said, are you the one or should I be looking for some? Why am I sitting in jail, Jesus, if you're the one? I'm your right-hand man. You admitted that yourself. Jesus is sovereign. He doesn't take us out of all our trouble here because he is using that trouble to shape us and to glorify himself. You see, the world that we live in, from the very beginning, evil has always been mistreated and hurt. From Abel and Cain killed his own brother. Why? Because his brother was righteous. Jesus is, in fact, the picture of the righteous one being put to death, not for his own sin, but because the wickedness of those around him. This week I've been going through the story of Job, and Job himself is a picture of the righteous under attack by Satan, by God's allowance to tell a story. That God does step in, but we still do suffer for being righteous. Jesus himself was going to suffer the ultimate price because he was righteous. He was exactly who John said he was, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was going to go through all this and die a painful death. He himself would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's God's plan by the death, by the punishment, by the suffering of his own son to save us. Some of us will suffer in different ways. I don't know, not all the same way, but God is going to use our lives in whatever he chooses to use. Some of us won't seem to suffer at all or much at all. Jesus allowed John, who was the greatest of all men living, Jesus said, to suffer in this way, and yet he fed and ministered to the crowds, some little boys, some little girls. He fed 5,000 of them. He did these miracles to them. Why did he not save John? Because he chose John for that mission. John was faithful to that mission. And God is seeing a time when he's going to vindicate all who are righteous that are suffering for him. You go to, go to the end of the story. You go to Revelation and you see the prayers of the saints coming up to God. And he's hearing those prayers. How long will the righteous suffer is, is what's coming up to God. And God is saying, not long. <laughs> not long. He's saying, I ain't going to let y'all mess with my folks that long. I'm going to do something about it. 
He's coming. He's going to vindicate as he vindicates his son. He's going to vindicate all who trust in him to the point where he's saying this. Look, it's going to be worth it to suffer for Christ. It's going to be worth it when God at the end vindicates all who've given their lives for him, whether that means the physically life and dying or they've given their life in living and commitment to him is going to be worth it all. Even if we go to the very end and give our life for him, it's going to be worth it all. So what Jesus is praying and what I'm, what I'm seeing in, in Psalm 25, he's saying, Lord, let those who trust in me, who trust in you, not be ashamed, not give up. Let them know that it's worth it. Don't let them give up and let, don't let the ones who see them give up either. Let all who trust in you not be put to shame. I believe that's his prayer for us today. Regardless of what it is we go through, May we continue to serve God. May we continue to trust him. May we know that God is going to vindicate it in the end. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love and for your grace. We thank you how you encourage your people even through intense challenges and suffering. We thank you how Jesus needed time to be recharged and to just spend time with you. And yet, when that was even interrupted, he continued to be faithful, loving, ministering to others and to their needs. Draw us to this Jesus. That whatever it is that we live or go through, that we'll know it's worth it. You'll make it right. You've already promised us eternal life with you and perfect fellowship with you. We thank you for that. Encourage hearts today, Lord. Encourage us to spend more time with you, to commune more with you. You don't answer all of our questions now, but you call us to walk by faith, trusting in this Jesus. May we do that. May we do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.